Good morning. Uplifting topic this week in our Y series. And we've had a couple in a row now that are kind of just downers as you read the question, but they're awesome questions. If you're new to Element 3 Church, my name is Pastor Scott, and we're doing a series on why, and y'all are leading the conversation. You submitted all of the questions we're going into over the next several weeks as we then will transition to a new sermon series eventually. Some of you have missed our deadline for your questions, and they are held in a safe underneath my desk for the next time we're going to do the Y series. So if you don't get your questions read this time around, don't worry. You probably, almost all of them were anonymous too, which is what I love. They will be brought up again as we do the series sometime in the future. I'm going to have our middle schoolers dismissed right now to go with Kelsey and Katie. They are going to be leading our middle school growth group time. So middle schoolers go with them out the exit door. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. And for Everyone in the room, I have a question for you and specifically online. I've been loving to see the chat pop through all of you who are watching with us at home or wherever you are. Just don't be driving and watch. Here is a question to consider. What is one of your greatest gifts? What is one of your greatest gifts? You may have noticed we didn't do our greeting time in a regularly scheduled moment. Now is the time to not only greet someone, but I'm giving you bonus time to have a conversation with somebody you're not related to. Don't turn to somebody you came with. Find somebody new and share your answer. What is one of your greatest gifts? Ready, set, talk to somebody you don't know. You have 10 more seconds. Now, introverts, you're already done, and I get that. I'm, I'm with you. Our extroverts just keep talking over me talking, and they're just going to continue to talk the rest of the service. So this is the liability of me doing this at this time versus our normally scheduled time. As you are wrapping up the social time, I gave you a full two minutes, church. I was counting by Mississippi's even. Greatest gifts, greatest gifts. How many of you said cars? Oh, it could have been, it could have been either way. It could have been either way. It's, it's, it could be a trade. It could be, it could be however you want to read the question. One of my gifts I've been given has been the gift of transportation, right? And cars, for me, have had a very much a, a not a prized possession of my life because I also have kids. If you have kids and you add a car, it instantly becomes a place for trash to somehow magically collect. Now, over my lifetime, I've had a lot of cars, and I've shared in other sermons, my favorite vehicle has been a bright orange Vespa motorcycle, and it was manly, okay? Guys, don't tell me anything otherwise, but in all honesty, I've had a variety of different cars. I started out with a 92 Bonneville that had a problem in the, in the car. It was my very first car, and it would shut off in the middle of driving. It's terrifying. The power steering would go out, but I learned to be a great driver while I was driving that. I then was given a gift of a 99 Chevy Cavalier stick shift. And I am the overachiever that I am. I'm driving a stick shift. I would have a Coke and I'd be taking a shot of insulin because I'm diabetic. And it, I would do all of it at the same time, driving stick shift. It's, 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 it's a challenge to do multiple things while you have a stick shift car. 
That car, I also would take my insulin needles and put them in the, in the passenger seat in designs to make people feel really welcome when they had to get a ride from me. <laughs> yes, I'm weird. Then I had a Hyundai Elantra, which is in 2005 Hyundai Elantra. My grandfather gifted that to me. It was a brand new car because I was going to seminary and knew we needed a car. Then we had a 2008 Chrysler Pacifica, which is a minivan. Yes, we've had many minivans in our household. But my favorite car, one of my favorite cars, another stick shift, was I downgraded from the 2008 Chrysler Pacifica, everyone have that in their mind, and I went to a 1993 Ford F-150. Yeah. And the thing had more rust than actual metal on it. This is one of my most recent cars. I love that truck because trucks are awesome, right? My friend, when I bought that truck, said something that stuck with me, and I use it often in my sermons, and it sounds like something from Spider-Man. But he said, every gift is also a great liability. And what I mean by that is that the moment I had that truck, I had people texting and calling, asking me to move stuff for them. Truck owners in the room, can I say amen? Amen. When you have something like a truck, you instantly become a hired hand. Now, the interesting part of this is once you also turn 40, no one ever asks your help in moving again. I don't know what happened. I mean, I'm pretty muscular, but never again have I been asked to help somebody move. It's this weird dynamic. Trucks, yes. Amen. Trucks mean you are a hired hand. Then you hit 40 and your truck becomes just something that somebody can borrow then at that moment. I want you to remember this and tuck this in your brain as we reopen scripture and tackle a parable that Pastor Mike did an amazing job going through last week. If you missed a sermon last week, please stop what you're doing, rewatch it, then come back in here and and join us again. In all seriousness, it's a great message on the concept of why did bad things happen to good people or good things happen to bad people. But I want to tackle this parable yet again because it directly goes into what our question is about why people do evil and awful things in the name of religion. Thank you to Jay for reading the scripture. And really the whole premise is very clear. There's not a lot of hidden meaning. And something would happen even in Jesus' day that the people who listened to this parable would say, oh yeah, I know that that actually happened. People would come, a farmer would come and harve or plant his field. And an enemy of that farmer, for whatever reason, would come and plant this weed called bearded darnel. Bearded darnel. And bearded darnel looks exactly like wheat. And so the farmer says, I don't want you to take out the bearded darnel because you might destroy the wheat. And the whole premise is that we are meant to grow wheat. And that's what Pastor Mike said last week. Do you ever remember? But the question brought forth today is one that we have to acknowledge. It is more difficult to keep a field clean. Weed-free. Every garden, every field that you'll ever have somehow has a plant growing in it that you do not want. To grow a crop that is not only bountiful, you need to also reduce the risk of loss. And weeds, whatever it's bearded darnel or whatever weed you have in your garden, take resources. They don't follow the plan, the, the overall idea of where you want them to come up. And if you do not address them quickly, They grow up rampantly. Now, I'm from the Midwest, Nebraska. We have more cows than people in the state. That's a Google fact, by the way. It's amazing. And farming is something that I actually grew up on. I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, Baird, Nebraska. And farming as 
from generations of farming, weed control takes time, takes energy, and it drives you crazy. And to take this parable a step further, the conditions for weeds and the wheat are identical. Let's say that again. The conditions for weeds and wheat are identical. It'd be one thing if weeds needed a certain temperature, a certain amount of water, a certain amount of soil or type of soil that the crops didn't need, but they take the exact same setting. And what can be most troubling, and not to take anything away from last week's sermon, but to add on to it, is that there can be equally adept and qualified people saying the exact opposite from the sermon last week. In fact, there are people in this world, probably right now, saying, instead of grow wheat, grow weeds. And not to be crass, that should be literally scaring the hell out of us. There are so many false prophets and persons who convince people to do all sorts of evil in the name of Jesus, in the name of Muhammad, in the name of science, in the name of Fox News or NPR or PBS. There is actually a large, large crowd online who believe that Big Bird is the Antichrist. You look it up. It's, it's ridiculous. Please laugh, okay? <laughs> There's not many jokes in this sermon, so you got to say the least, least giggle of that one. Big Bird, I do not believe, is the Antichrist, just so you know. But I can list hundreds of false leaders, specifically in the name of Jesus Christ, who have led people astray. This weed has encouraged and was grown in the same soil as the wheat was. And the way to distinguish the weeds and the wheat is to identify the harvesting fruit. Many of you don't think of wheat as having a fruit. If you put this image up on the screen, this is bearded Darnell, and wheat on the left of the screen shows that it's fully, before it's fully ripe, looks like this. And on the right, the tares or those weeds look like that. And it's not until weeks later where you can identify the color change of the wheat between the bearded darnel or the tares. And the difference between them is minuscule, but it is the, ultimately the fruit that comes and the color change of the fruit in the wheat where you can understand, is it going to be good or is it going to be bad? In our field, we produce wheat. We are called to be wheat. But the fruit of the persons, even in the name of religion, also are called to produce their own fruit. And the weed, the bearded darnel, if you do not take care of it in the harvest time, it will just continually reproduce just as fast and just as proliferant as a wheat would. See, both of these fruits, both of these crops, and we can use any image you want, those who love gardening, they're both sown in the field of faith. See, friends, we are made to believe. There's a fancy word that we're going to go into called theological anthropology. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone say it, theological anthropology. Use that in a sentence at lunch and just impress people who don't come to our church. Okay? Theological anthropology just means this. It's who we are created by our divine maker. We are created with a body, and Christians believe we are also created with a thing called a soul. Now, everybody point to your soul real quick. Yeah, we don't know where our soul is, but we believe theological anthropology-wise that we have a soul. We have a mind. We can know where the mind is, most of us. We have emotions that are much harder to define. We are made from God. We are designed from God to believe. Belief and faith is what fuels many of our wildest dreams. I hope to someday be a published author. 
to see churches grown to the point where I'm no longer needed in vocational ministry. I believe that my children will grow up and not only have careers and be excellent people, maybe husband, maybe a wife, to have children of their own. I can't wait and believe that I might be a grandpa someday. I have faith that I'll live in a peaceful country where I can pursue these dreams. Now, does any of that mean it's actually going to come to fruition? It's my inward belief that I can just believe inherently in these things that will happen. Emerging generations have been told to silence their belief in things unseen and unknown. That it's only what you can see, taste, touch, or smell that that's real, not the things that are Christianese. Only believe what is taught to you or objectively declared, which, ironically, is actually the purest form of belief, that there's nothing else except what's right in front of you. I love seeing the belief and the faith that came out, even out of something horrible like the pandemic. You may not know this, but right when the pandemic hit, church attendance spiked to a level that has not spiked at in hundreds of years. It's because most average, every ordinary person had no answer of what was happening around the world as places shut down, as people were literally fearing for their lives. Unfortunately, the church did not have the answer to why there are pandemics, but it is the people seeking after an answer in faith that they would even turn to a place that maybe they've never turned to before. And yet, the field of faith can only take one person to pollute it and to become a weed. Friends, in your politics, what fruit is being produced? Hate, anger, injustice, greed, lust, bitterness, envy? Or is it love, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? It takes faith in politics to believe a platform. And are you surrounded by other weeds and you do not realize that you're actually a weed? Or are you surrounded by good fruit? Is that one hit too close to home? What about in your family? Are you surrounded by hate, anger, injustice, greed, lust, bitterness, envy? Or in your family, is it love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And here's the one we should continually analyze and be frightened of. What about in your religion? Many a pastor succumbed to the temptations of the age and what Paul describes in Galatians 5, and what I quoted, that are the fruits of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I remember that in my Sunday school class. We sang a song about it. But oftentimes we forget that Paul also lists out a different type of fruit. And I see these as the bearded darnel, the tares, the weeds that grow in all the fields of our lives. It's in Galatians 5, verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, these are a list of the weeds that are so prevalent in the fields of faith that surround every aspect of our lives. And what's interesting, and a nuance that I want to show out to you, is that you can be a wheat On Sunday morning and Saturday night, man, you can be a weed. You can be bearded Darnell 
in so many areas of your life, even on a Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Sunday morning, I, all of a sudden I'm on wheat, and I'm going to serve in E3 Kids. Please do that, by the way. <laughs> please, 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 we need your help at E3 Kids. Maribel's about ready just to come and throw up her hands in the middle service and just make volunteers come out. See, it is through faith that this occurs. I believe that factions win over my cause of faith versus the peace, that submission that comes from belonging to Jesus Christ's. And not all faith is necessarily bad. Some of the worst heresies and the greatest theologies come out of the same field of faith. What do I mean by that? In the early hundreds in Christian history, people didn't understand if Jesus being resurrected was just a spirit, a ghost, who just pretended to hang on the cross. And so there's this heresy that came about that Jesus on the cross was just a ghost. And so it was easy for him to, whoop, I'm off the cross and I'll just pretend to lie down for a day and then I'll just come magically out of the rock. And that was a common church-held belief in many of the infant churches. Meanwhile, we believe that Jesus was fully man and fully God both at the same time. And when those nails went in his hands, it was real human flesh. Both of them came out of the field of faith because many of the second and third and fourth generations of Christians had to believe something And it doesn't mean that the belief is wrong. It just means it works itself out over time. And see, and this is where you may be saying, oh, aha, this is why we did the first connection, my greatest strength. Because your greatest strength in belief is also your greatest liability. So we must analyze the fruit and... Why do people do horrible things in the name of religion? It is because the greatest trait that all humanity has is because we have faith. Faith will, cause to fall, faith will cause us to fall in love, to have a child, to adopt, to take risks, to move across a country to a bunch of FSU fans and Florida fans and Miami fans and whatever else you all are, to buy a truck. Faith is not the problem. We must analyze the fruit of every person by the spirit of Jesus Christ. What fruit are you producing? Fruit that is grown in the vine of faith in Jesus or some false prophet who sows weeds in the middle of the night? Jesus' parable forces us to do something we're not comfortable in the modern U.S. We have to adopt two roles in the same play. Most parables do this. You've heard of the prodigal son. I see myself in the prodigal son always as the elder good son because I am the eldest and the eldest child is always the best. (laughs) You young kids, you don't know anything. (laughs) But in all honesty, we go between both. And we see in the same moments that I'm both children that have complete reliance upon our father. We see that in many of the old Shakespearean plays where different actors would put different masks on the middle of the same play and you'd follow the person, even though it's the same person, putting on the different masks as they become different characters. In our world, it doesn't make sense. Can you imagine Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, all of a sudden for no apparent reason becoming Captain America? In the multiverse, it works. But in all honesty, and kidding aside, kidding aside, We have to understand that we are both the wheat 
the weeds and the workers in the field all at the same time. In this dual role, we must make wheat and also guard against those who would other you as use our faith for their own purposes. And let me share with you the linchpin for knowing how to identify those who would use your faith, your belief for an awful purpose. The one way you can combat against this is this, it's humility. The savior of the world who spent his last moments on earth washing his disciples' feet exemplified humility. The savior of the world who could instantly turn all of a Roman legion to salt in a blink of an eye allowed himself to be arrested, beaten, whipped, and tortured. The savior of the world who eternal, he can live forever, succumbed to death. The amount of humility for any leader is related to the amount of authentic fruit or wheat. And this trait disarms our greatest strengths so they are no longer weaknesses. I can have a truck and graciously and authentically loan it out to any one of you and my back as well. And I can say this knowing that I'm offending many of your political beliefs and ideologies that put faith in over the past seasons of life. Humble leadership never garners large crowds and massive rallies. Humble leadership is what I want our church to model in a world that needs it desperately and doesn't know that it needs it. And it is what will end horrific things done in the name of religion and in every other field of faith in our lives. So grab your greatest gift, whatever it is, and humbly use it to usher in a full harvest of wheat. Let's stand and worship.